Welcome back to Is It Horror? I'm Brianna. I'm Joe. I'm Matt. I'm Mitz. And I am Steve. If you haven't joined us before, basically what we do is we take a piece of media, often a movie, and we discuss whether or not we think it qualifies as horror. We try to pick movies and, as I said, other forms of media that are a little bit more contested. And uh, so for this episode, we're going to be talking about Jurassic Park. But before we do that, we're going to go to the corner of corners, Joe's Get to Know You Corner. Yeah, welcome to the corner, everybody. Glad to have you here. All right, so for this episode of In the Corner, we have two questions, and you can choose to answer um, one or the other, or if you want to, both. First question is, what is your most memorable good or bad memory uh, at a theme park? Or what is your most uh, intense encounter with a wild animal? Um, This is a tough one because I'm not an adventurous person, so I don't have super adventurous, in- adventurous and interesting stories. But I have had some encounters with animals in my life because I grew up in uh, ye old wilds of Pennsylvania. Um, with folks who like to hunt and fish and, you know, camp outside. I'm not sure why it's fun, but apparently it's a thing. And we used to go up to my grandfather's hunting cabin, uh, which was up in Potter County, which uh, for those of you who are not familiar is somewhere in the middle-ish of North Pennsylvania, like close to the New York border, if not on it. Um, You can check my geography later. But we were crazy people and it was a pastime because it was cheap because it was only the cost of a few jars of peanut butter uh we would go up to this hunting cabin and we would set out peanut butter so that wild uh native black bears would just come hang out on our porch and eat peanut butter while we had our noses like pressed against the window six inches from them this is just how you grow up in pennsylvania apparently so i think that's probably the most up close and personal i've been with a wild animal. <laughs> wow. When you when you said the cost of a few jars of peanut butter to my in my head I was like is that a saying? Is that a thing? <laughs> no, like literally <laughs> jars of peanut butter to lure the the animal wildlife in. Um one of them actually was start I think there was I don't remember for my grandfather or my uncle's but somebody's truck was like getting rocked back and forth by this gigantic male bear. That was a little intense. That is hilarious. But also, you can use jars of peanut butter as currency in Pennsylvania. Oh, yeah, in some parts, it is known. (laughs) Okay, well, um, mine was while visiting Yellowstone when I was but a wee lad. We were at Old Faithful, and for those of you who have been there, um, the way Old Faithful is kind of set up is like the geysers set in the middle, and then it's kind of surrounded by like a half circle of boardwalk and that's a ways away, a little ways away from the geyser and everybody just gathers on the boardwalk and waits for Old Faithful to go off. So we're sitting there waiting for Old Faithful to go off and there's buffaloes just kind of hanging out. Not a lot, just like a couple, like two or three or something. And that's not like uncommon for the area, but, uh, for whatever reason, this one buffalo decided that it was pretty mad at the crowd. Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it was a buffalo, not a deer. Oh, yeah. Okay, sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, but the <laughs> buffalo, like, charged the crowd. And 
I just remember my sister like had the camera, but like the Buffalo charged and she just like, she didn't get any good footage cause she just started like booking it to the car. Uh, but, uh, there was this lady who had like a baby and was sitting on the boardwalk and the Buffalo, like everybody got up, everybody, buddy got up and ran, but this lady was like sitting there with a child and like, couldn't get up. It doesn't end as badly as it sounds like it's going to, but the Buffalo like, you know, sees her as a target and just like charges like right up to her. And she had to like, it stopped like right at her. She had to like put her foot up on the Buffalo's head and it just like sat there and was like snorting in her face while she held her child. And then it like eventually ran off. But yeah, that, that was that. Wow. That is pretty crazy. So I, I guess I'll say a couple of things because there was talk of, did we, did we say that we we're going to answer both questions? If you got one, you go for it. Either or both. The roller coaster one's not really a specific story, but it was just funny because I went to Six Flags in Maryland with a bunch of my buddies and we made it a game to like go on all the roller coasters and pretend that we were asleep for all the photos when you get like the photo taken of you. <laughs> And we thought we were hilarious and like the whole day we were just doing it and laughing at ourselves. And then uh, the one ride we got off and we were looking at our photos and we walked away and then some guy like pointed at a, pointed at the photos and he was just like hysterical. He's like, look at them kids, they're sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just really funny. <laughs> and... Yeah, so that was just that was a stupid thing. And then I did like this science day camp where I was like a teacher for I think it was ages maybe five to eight years old with our sister, who is actually a licensed teacher nowadays, but she was doing like uh, just a summer thing back then. And I remember we had like this trash can that was kind of nearby our area and it was like rattling. And so I open up the trash can and I see a squirrel in there and my sister's like looking at it and I kicked it to get the squirrel out and she was like looking into it like right at the wrong moment and this squirrel just comes flying like a bat out of, bat out of hell right at her face. <laughs> oh and she's like screaming and the squirrel missed her but... uh <laughs> So yeah, that's my pen that's my Pennsylvania story that doesn't involve a bear, just a flying squirrel that shouldn't have been flying. I am impressed. <laughs> Mine is also a trash can story. Uh, so Guess we have trash in common. <laughs> Shut up. Okay. Um so I guess this is a wild animal. It wasn't in the wild, but it shouldn't have been where it was. So I was in, I was a little kid. I was in elementary school and I was trying to go home for the day because, you know, school sucks. So I told them I was sick. So I was waiting in the office and I went to go throw like, I don't know, a gum wrapper or something away. And there was just a bat chilling in the, in the, in the trash can, just looking up at me. It was super cute. I stared at it. We made eye contact. It chirped a little. It was like a little kitten almost. Um, so I, I remember telling the secretary, I was like, yeah, I don't know if you know this, but there's a bat in the trash can, you know, casually. 
as you do. Like you do. And then it flew out. And it went in the, this. There was another girl in the office. She had big hair. She had big puffy hair. And it went in her hair. It was it was quite comical. I mean, no one else was laughing, but I thought it was funny. <laughs> As for uh, amusement park stories, I don't really have any spectacular ones. But I did get thrown up on by my friend who was riding a roller coaster for the first time. Of course, he picked one with seven loop-de-loops on it for his first time so he did not have a good end to that go big or go home so i got thrown up on but that's all right those are my two stories i didn't really have a good amusement park one so um the coup de grace will be the animal story which i will tell momentarily but as far as the uh amusement park one uh, when we were little, and I think maybe, Matt, you weren't maybe even born yet, but it was like uh, me and, you know, parents and sister that we went to Bush Gardens. And I wasn't big enough to ride the roller coaster, so but my sister wanted to, so our dad rode with her. And then on the roller coaster, he puked on her, <laughs> which was, I don't know, it's just really hilarious to oh, me growing no. up. Because she was fine. He just, he was the one that threw up. So I always thought that was funny. So anyway, there's that. She used to really have the bad stuff happen to her. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, maybe so. So the other thing that Pennsylvania has, aside from, you know, trading peanut butter to bears, is uh, we also have a lot of skunks. And so I was in college and I was... uh, going to Penn State Brooks campus at the time and between the dorms and the commuter parking lot there's kind of like this real wooded area this little kind of foresty area and so I got done visiting some friends and I was commuting there so I was walking back to my car and as I'm walking back to my car I see that there is a skunk that is following me and it's following me down the path not real close but it's just basically kind of like foraging on the sides and you know working its way towards me So I'm kind of like, all right, well, I don't know. I'll just keep moving and it won't catch up to me. So not a big deal. So I keep moving forward and find that there is another skunk ahead of me on the path now. So now I've got one, you know, ahead of me and behind me. And then I'm like, all right, well, I better maybe jump off this trail because I don't want to agitate any of them. And yet there is another skunk off the side of the trail, the only way that I could have gone. So now I am trapped between three skunks that are just doing their thing and it doesn't end with me getting sprayed sorry spoilers but uh i basically it it was like a five minute walk that ended up taking me a half hour because i was walking as slow as possible and trying not to agitate the skunks and they were just all kind of like doing their thing and didn't seem to mind that i was there but it's yeah it took so long to walk back it was ridiculous so there's my story of an animal encounter that I'm sure is every bit as harrowing as anything that happens in Jurassic Park. Definitely. <laughs> Agreed. Well, thanks for joining us at the corner. Before we leave, uh, hey, Steve. What up? Uh, why don't you fight a dinosaur? I don't know. Why don't you fight a dinosaur? Because you'll get giraffe kicked. <laughs> 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 I was going to say, do you think he saw us? <laughs> oh. <laughs> but what's his dog called?
Do you think he saw us, Rex? Got him. <laughs> That's how I normally laugh. Terrible. I have to rein it in. So, today we are talking about Jurassic Park. And uh, so for a little bit of background on that, that is directed by Steven Spielberg, who also directed such classics as Jaws, the Indiana Jones quadrilogy, although your mileage may vary on which of those are classics, E.T., Hook, Catch Me If You Can, and honestly, tons of other movies. I could have mentioned a whole bunch more, but those are the ones that at least came to mind most for me. So there are those ones. The film was written by Michael Crichton and David Coep, and I'm probably pronouncing his last name wrong on that, but it's based on a book by Michael Crichton. So he, Michael Crichton, as I understand it, he did the first pass on the screenplay, and then they had David Coep come and kind of clean things up a little bit. Um, Michael Crichton, of course, is a famous author who's, aside from writing Jurassic Park, also wrote the sequel, The Lost World. He's also written other classics like uh, Sphere and Andromeda Strain. And then, of course, who can forget Congo? And uh, as far as screenwriting goes, uh, he also wrote Twister and the original Westworld movie from the 70s, as well as he was uh, wrote a lot of ER and helped create the series. So he's no stranger to screenwriting on both big and small. And then David Coop, he uh, he also wrote uh, Mission Impossible and Stir of Echoes, Spider-Man, and The Mummy, the newest Mummy movie, mind you. So that if that influences your opinion on him. And then as far as a brief description of Jurassic Park, spoiler warnings coming ahead here, so be prepared for that. So the uh, premise there of Jurassic Park is that you have a wealthy old man who invests all of his money in creating a park full of live dinosaurs by using cutting-edge genetic engineering techniques. They find dino DNA trapped in mosquitoes, trapped in amber, and uh, they pull that out and then they put in other DNA from more contemporary animals to kind of fill in the holes in the sequence, and so he's able to have all these scientists and everything recreate all these dinosaurs and put them on an island in a park that he's going to have as an amusement park for people to come visit. And so he's asked a lot of different people for their help and their advice over the years as he was getting things off the ground, but without explaining to them the full extent of what he's doing. So our story starts out with uh, Dr. Alan Grant and Ellie Sattler and uh, Dr. Ian Malcolm all being taken to the island to see the dinosaurs for the first time and take the tour and give their critique of the whole place. And then along the way as well are Hammond, who's the man who's created all of this, his niece and nephew, Tim and Lexi, who they come along for the ride. And uh, things seem to be going okay, but uh, all of our experts have their trepidations about how safe this whole thing is. And of course, things go badly. The power goes out due to some industrial espionage attempting and... Uh, the dinosaurs run amok, and Alan Grant, who has professed to hate children, has to keep the kids safe in the park overnight, which he manages to accomplish, and uh, they are all able to get back safely, and everything is happy. The end. All spoiled. So, who feels like this is horror? Who feels like it's not horror? What does everybody think? Mm, this is definitely not horror for me. But it could be horror. We'll get into that later. Yeah, um, I don't know. 
I think it's got some elements there, but I just can't bring myself to call it horror. Yeah, I agree. Not horror. Right now, my vote is for not a horror, but I, I'm still feeling volatile about my answer, so we'll see after discussion. I went back and forth on this a lot, and I tried not to allow any, you know, preconception on it to influence me, but I think when it's all said and done, I had to go with not horror on this one as well. So I have a couple odds and ends here, at least quote-wise on it. So first I'll say, normally what I'll try and do is find a quote from the creative forces behind the movie saying whether or not they thought that the film was horror or not, or what the genre they thought it was. But it was actually pretty hard to find that kind of comment from either Steven Spielberg or Michael Crichton, because generally when people are talking to Steven Spielberg about this film, they're asking about the special effects and how that all came about. So he's discussing that at great length, but not really much in the terms of genre. Uh, so from him, from the Jurassic Park DVD special features, he does in some of the pre-production meetings repeatedly talk about trying to make scenes scary. Uh, so there was that side of it. But uh, he also kind of talked about wanting to, uh, describing at one point, having to change the ending to include the T-Rex again because he wanted it to have one more heroic appearance, which it kind of does, which always feels a little bit weird, but we can talk about that in a bit. The better quote that I had to a degree was from Phil Tippett, who was, uh, he was going to originally do the dinosaurs in go motion, which is kind of that stop motion sort of uh, claymation style that you see in some older films. And so he was going to originally do that until they decided that CGI was going to work better. And then he helped kind of supervise the modeling that they were doing in the motion that they were creating in the computers for the dinosaurs. But there is a quote from him talking about what Steven Spielberg was going for in it. And so in that particular quote, he said, Steven's direction from the very first day was that he knew that these things with big pointy teeth chasing people and trying to eat them, that you had a monster movie on your hands. That was a given, but he didn't want to have the things portrayed as monsters. He wanted to bring them back down to a naturalistic level, and he wanted them portrayed as animals. So that's as close as I could find a quote on any sort of intent, at least, that made sense to me for, for this. And then as far as Michael Crichton goes, if anyone here has read the book or anyone listening has read the book, Michael Crichton's book is a lot of philosophizing about whether or not we should be allowed to wield this kind of genetic power. And certainly those elements make it into the movie, but they're a lot more fleshed out in the book. And so it's a lot more talking about what scientists' motivations are, where they're coming from, the dangers of genetic engineering and the concern that we should have on it. So most of his interviews don't focus on any terms of genre about the film. They're more focused on those underlying themes that he was trying to get at. So um, all of that to say is I'm a little light on quotes for you this time around on what everyone was intending for this film. So we're, we're kind of more on our own. So we'll see how that goes. So I thought the first thing that we could kind of talk about is how the tension feels in the movie, because there are tense scenes, and we've talked about before how horror employs tension. Um, so I was going to see what were the most tense scenes in the film for everybody, and uh, did any of those feel like horror, and why or why not? Um, for me, any time that they had to be up close and personal 
with a dinosaur and like remain incredibly still so that they couldn't see them. Those are the most tense moments for me because I would fidget once and we'd all be dead. That's just me. Yeah, I guess for me, like the definitely that the the T-Rex attack at the cars was a very tense, horrific scene. Um, And then most of the times that they're dealing with raptors, because raptors are scary, apparently. Um, but like raptors, the raptors versus Muldoon in the jungle, raptors versus Ellie in the utility be- building, raptors versus kids in the kitchen, like all those scenes uh, were very tense to me. The two scenes that have me on the fence about whether or not the movie's horror is the T-Rex attack in the cars with the kids and the kitchen raptor scene with the kids. And I think something about the kids being on their own and being the victims of those two scenes kind of pulls it towards horror for me. I don't know why. I think maybe it's the fact that the kids have no control. They have no, they have no weapons. They're alone. They have no adults to help them. It's almost like they're, they're just powerless. So that makes it, that makes the stakes higher, and to me, that makes it scarier. Plus, I think uh, both of the actors, even though the acting was a little corny at times, both of them really do give you like the fear or the the feeling of like total fear, like paralyzing fear. So, I don't know. Those two were the scariest to me. I agree with you on those scenes being tense. I think for me. And it's a theme across all these movies, even like in the lost, the new ones, um, Jurassic World ones, is that they really do focus like my, like Steve said earlier about how these are animals and the raptor scene in the kitchen and the raptors versus Muldoon is pro are probably the two scenes where you feel the most like these are scary creatures and not just animals doing their animal thing like those and you're supposed to you're supposed to feel that the raptors are intelligent and calculating and those are kind if those moments are the ones that feel the most like horror like you said if i had to say the movie was horror because the raptors are supposed to be the ones that are not just animals doing their animal thing they're actually actively hunting humans (laughs) I made a note that was very similar to what both of you just said. I think one of the things that is scary about this movie and all the Jurassic Park movies is we as humans have been in our, uh, you know, lazy boy sitting at the top of the food chain. And to see kind of us kind of shoved from that is horrific in a way. And it's like, okay, yeah, we really are up against, we're no longer necessarily the top of the food chain. You know, against some dinosaurs, you can say, oh, well, we're smarter and can outthink them. But yeah, Matt, to your point, like against the raptors, it's like, well, they're pretty damn smart and they're thinking their way through how to devour us, we little humans. I think in order to pinpoint whether the movie is horror or not, you have to kind of classify the dinosaurs as either monsters or animals, kind of like Matt said. So if you're classifying them as monsters, if you replace all the dinosaurs with monsters, it's definitely horror, right? 
But if you replace all the dinosaurs with other wild animals, big cats or something, then it's definitely not horror. So it kind of just depends on how you view the monster or how you view the dinosaurs. Really, I think. And that brings up a good point. One that I kind of wanted to talk about a little bit as well is uh, how how do you feel that the animals are portrayed? Obviously, Matt, you had already mentioned that you kind of agree with they are sort of portrayed more as animals than monsters. But how does that come across for for everyone else? So how would you say that the dinosaurs, both raptors and T-Rexes, if you think that's different, how they're portrayed? Well, I need to go on the record saying that I am team dino for this movie, viewing it again as an adult. Because when I watched this as a kid, it was real tense and scary. And I mean, you know, you crap your pants in a couple of scenes. Let's be real. That was really a big deal for what was it? 93, you said. And in terms of like how the dinosaurs were portrayed, um, my view on, on that has sort of changed with age. I'm sort of team more team dino now than I was as a kid because watching it now, I'm like, well, yeah, they're trapped in a zoo. They didn't ask to be born. Man, teen angst. Raw. So I don't know. I, I rooted for the quote unquote bad guys either way in this one. I, I guess I tend to, in answer to your question, Steve, kind of tend to view them more as animals as well. Uh, one of the moments that I think portrays that really well is uh, Nedry versus the Dilophosaurus. Watching how the Dilophosaurus, or however you pronounce it, um, but watching how that dino moves, it reminds me very much of like watching my cat hunting a fly. Like it twists its head and kind of creeps up on it and does these like funny little like head tilts and things. And even the way like the T-Rex moves in some of those spots when it's trying to figure out what the car is and like nuzzling or you know nudging it with its nose and that kind of thing it's very animalistic i tend to think along that lines too is that they do i think they are portrayed as animals first and not monsters which i i think that does affect it for me as well that makes me feel like it's not horror at least in that aspect because you know it's it's just animals doing what they do there isn't any malice in it which it's kind of funny in thinking about it because I feel like we had somewhat the same conversation back in the alien episode, just talking about like the aliens just doing what it does. It's just continuing its life cycle. But maybe the fact that it's a creature that's actually existed in the wild, I guess, is the thing that makes it easier for me to accept that. If it's some foreign type of creature who's we don't have an understanding of, that we don't have any idea of its motivations, that makes it maybe feel a little bit different to me. But I guess kind of like Mitt said, if we replace these animals with something that exists, like we you know, replace it with a cougar or bears, then for me, it sort of stops being horror, I, which is weird because it's the whole idea of malice, which we've talked about before with, uh, I think we brought up both the descent and zombies of how in the descent, those creatures aren't angry or upset either. It's just part of their life cycle. They're just eating, but I don't know. When it's a creature that actually exists, I feel like that changes things for me. I agree with the dinosaurs being animals for the most part. The only thing that I still have a little bit of trouble with is the T-Rex because of sheer size alone. It's freaking huge and monstrous even because it's so big that it it wouldn't even have to be trying to eat you in order to kill you. So to me, that's scary. Now, maybe that's just a 
fear of big things. <laughs> but I mean, it could whack you with its tail, it could step on you. It's totally different if you're being chased in that kitchen by a T-Rex or by raptors, which are the same size as you. You know what I mean? So the T-Rex is definitely still a little bit horror to me because it's so otherworldly now. You don't, there's no creatures that big now. At least not on land. <laughs> See, I was kind of going to go the opposite way that I felt like even though the T-Rex is this larger than life predator, I felt, I still felt like the raptors are more monstrous than the T-Rex. Because the T-Rex still, even though it has like the biggest on-screen kill kind of when with uh, Gennaro, I still feel like the T-Rex is just being an animal in that situation. And they show it later on, too, when, like, the T-Rex bursts out of the woods and goes to eat one of the flocking Gallimimus. Uh, Gallimimus. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And, um, but with the raptors, like, you also never see the raptors, like, hunting any other dinosaurs or anything, like they didn't even want, like, the food that was presented to them. They were just always going after humans. It was almost like if you replace... If you put Michael Myers in that scene in the kitchen, it'd almost be, like, the same. You know what I mean? (laughs) Right. I guess I'm not saying the... The T-Rex still behaves like an animal more than a monster to me. Yeah. It's just, like, if you had a giant ass michael myers i think that would be pretty scary whether or not he was trying to kill you <laughs> now that's a movie i'd watch <laughs> giant michael myers <laughs> what about uh, michael myers with a giant ass does that change anything what tone is that <laughs> that's a whole different video it's more of a triple x parody i saw, i saw a video like that <laughs> that's a video we're not allowed to talk about different podcast is it horny that's the new show. <laughs> oh, that's the spinoff? I'm in. <laughs> so all around the T-Rex and the Raptors, I did have some follow-up questions involving that because I think we're kind of hitting on some of it. Um, I think in horror, you have a lot of things that focus on the fear of the unknown, right? The more you explain something, the more familiar you are with it, then the less power it usually has to be frightening to us. So... One of the things that I think you have that differentiates the two, the T-Rex versus the Raptors in this film, is that the T-Rex, once they show it to you, they're showing it to you. It's there in full. It's introduced. You get to see it 100% in scope. You understand what it is, and you understand how it operates. It's probably the thing you're most familiar with. Now, this movie, this book, made Raptors famous, but they would be the dinosaur people know the least. And also the movie kind of does the same thing with their introduction. You get the intro where you don't actually really see it. You get them being fed the cow, but you still don't see them. You get the baby, but the first time you see an adult raptor is actually pretty late in the movie. So with the differentiation in the introduction on both the T-Rex and the raptors, the T-Rex showing you everything and you know what it is to the raptors not really showing you and general audiences seeing for this for the first time, not being familiar with what they do. How did that change things for you in terms of the horror feel of it? Too long, didn't read version of it. Uh, Does familiarity make it better or worse in either animal's case? I had never thought about it that way, but 
since you bring it up, like, and just thinking about it while you were talking about it, like there, I think there is something to that. And I think it kind of plays into the idea of the Raptors being the reason they're smart or the reason they're scary is because they're smart. And part of that is, I mean, I don't know that they're, we're meant to believe that they're doing it on purpose, but they kind of keep themselves concealed. I mean, I guess even when, uh, when they're hunt, when Muldoon's hunting, hunting the one in the jungle, it only sort of partially conceals itself or exposes itself and the other ones, you know, sneaking around it totally hidden. So I don't know. I think there is something to that. I feel like in other movies, fear of the unknown has more power, but in this movie, seeing the actual dinosaurs, oh my goodness, my cats are like fighting. Okay, sorry. Anyway, um, seeing the dinosaurs gives it more fear for me. Maybe that's just me again, coming back to the size factor. I guess size matters to me, but. <laughs> you too, you girl. No shame. Back Yikes. to is it horny again? Once they come out of the the jungle or whatever you want to call it, then you're like, oh, okay, oh shit, that's like a deadly creature. To me, it adds it adds fear instead of taking it away. I think with the like the Muldoon scene, I think is interesting because they're walking through the forest, and Muldoon realizes what's going on and is like, we're being hunted. We can't see anything, but I know what's going on. We're being hunted. And there's this like this sense of I can't see what's hunting me, which I, th- I think is made that scene in particular pretty tense. Yeah, I agree with that. That scene not knowing is scarier. With the like the conclusion of that particular scene with Muldoon, it still manages to deliver on being absolutely horrifying and all you're seeing is just the grass violently shake. There's no blood. It's still scary as hell. Yeah. I do want to kind of get into the gore aspect, which is a good lead-in, but before we do switch to that, I did want to ask, so as far as tension in this film and how much of it feels tense... What percentage would you say? Would you say most of the movie? Is it just isolated to a few sections for you? Um, kind of goes into, I guess, the idea of tone a little bit, which we'll discuss a little later. But I guess how how much of the movie for you feels tense? I would initially say all of it, but I have to remember that like they don't even in- introduce the T-Rex until I think the hour mark at the movie. But the last half of that's enough to make me feel like, oh, yeah, the whole movie is pretty scary and pretty tense. But it's it's like it's an action thriller, an action-adventure thriller, but it's not horror. Oddly enough, I feel like one of the times where they're building tension the most in the film is when Timmy's on the electric fence, and it's about to be powered up, and you're like, ah! Yeah. I feel like that's one of the tensest moments. Am I wrong? Or the car falling from the tree. Yeah. Those are both great. The stuff that doesn't involve dinosaurs. Mm Mm-hmm. Another random thing that I hadn't noticed before that was, I don't know. So when they come up the hill at the beginning, when they get to the park and they drive up the hill in the Jeeps and they're about to see the brontosauruses, Ellie's sitting there looking at the leaves like, oh, this isn't supposed to be here. But like, if you listen to the music that's happening right then, it's like kind of like intense music. Like it's, 
I'm not sure what she's going to turn around and see. Is it going to be something scary? I don't know. Like, and then, you know, Sam Neill turns her head and is like, and she sees it. And then we get John Williams score swelling and, you know, it's all happy and light. But like leading up to that, it was kind of, it felt like, like a mini version of some of the tension in the movie. Like, yeah, it's scary and we're going to see some scary things, but you know, these are incredible animals that we should also think are pretty awesome. Yeah, the movie does a lot to establish from the very beginning that these are animals and that they're something to be in awe of. So I think that really establishes like how you are supposed to feel even about the predators going forward. And like even the first when you talk about, oh, there's raptors in the park and Muldoon has this very like respectful kind of explanation of the raptors and they're intelligent and they're attacking different parts of the fences and you're like made to feel like oh damn like these are incredible animals yeah the other thing music and score thing that i noticed that i found interesting on this watch through was during some of the tense scenes they don't have music like the whole first t-rex attack scene there isn't any music in that scene like it's it's just the sounds of the t-rex and you know the screaming kids and all that and we don't get music back into the movie until the tree or until the tree scene with the car falling out of the tree and i thought that was an interesting thing to kind of i feel like that kind of goes along with this whole idea like you're meant to feel tense in those scenes, but it's also like you're just kind of dwelling in the like feeling of these natural animals being scary just because they're scary, not because they're, you know, some evil entity or something like that. It's interesting too. I guess I think you have that with a lot of movies, right? Like is it's, it's easy for music to influence how you, how you should approach things, which I think like you brought up the John Williams score, in terms of when you first see the dinosaurs, like it's emphasizing there for you, like you should have a sense of awe right now and you should be, you know, impressed and this should be a feel good moment for you. Um, but yeah, in a way it's, it's Spielberg through the soundtrack, not telling you how to feel during those sequences and just saying like, just feel whatever you're feeling, but I'm not going to influence it with the score. I, I don't know. I just, just agreeing with you. I think that's interesting, the use of music throughout it, too. Yeah. I wanted to talk a little bit about kind of the, the gore side of things. Um, so we do have some gore in this film, but it's not necessarily a lot. Um, I wanted to, I guess, see how the amount of gore in the film affected things for you as far as your classification goes. And then, you know, mention whatever scenes you feel like are relevant. I mean, it gets high marks for tension, but very, very low marks for gore. Um, if for this to be horror, I think it would have needed to focus more on, like, the wounds of those who survived or, you know, with the raptors being calculating, they could be a little bit more vicious and draw out their attacks. I don't know. I think uh, most of the, like, actual stuff happens off screen. Like, even when... Mm -hmm. Gennaro gets eaten by the T-Rex. There's, like, no blood. He doesn't get, like, ripped in half and shaken and ragdolled or anything like that. You just see him bite him. And it's there's almost no blood. cartoonish. He, like, swallows him. Yeah. yeah. 
Like, the only scene where there's, like, a significant amount of blood is, like, when the T-Rex is eating that one dinosaur. Mm -hmm. And you don't even see a lot of that, so. And you do get, like, the bloody stump of uh, Samuel Jackson. But, and then I I agree, though, with, like, what you were saying, too, with Gennaro's death. It's almost comical. And it's not to say that something that's comical can't be horror, but it's almost... It feels like the most family-friendly way that you could have a T-Rex eat a person and have it look realistic. (laughs) Yeah, agreed. But also, can I just say that the goat leg on the sunroof is still effective this many years later? Like, that still got a little jump out of me, and that was fantastic. Mm -hmm. Well, that has some of the most realistic blood, I think, because it's, like, trailing down the car. I kind of put a note for myself on that one, too, because we talked about in the Alien episode how usually jump scares are the territory of horror movies, that that's a horror movie trope. But then here we are in a movie, Jurassic Park, that we've all said we don't think is horror, that it does, in fact, have a jump scare there with the goat leg. It definitely stole a bunch of horror tropes, like consistently and very well done, I might add. I think there's there's a couple jump scares too, like when Ellie's in the utility room and she, you know, has the arm in her hand and she's kind of freaking out. That's scary enough, but then she backs in and the raptor jumps at her. It's a very jump scary thing. Yeah, I think it does. It has a lot of horror bones, but it's still just that fact that these are animals and like it takes away from that horror aspect. Like I was thinking about if anybody's ever seen The Revenant with Leonardo DiCaprio and the bear attack scene. And, like, that's, like, one of the most horrific kind of animal attacks that I think is on screen in any movie. And to me, like, in my head, I don't think about it as horror even then because it's it's an animal. So it's, like, I don't know. That really separates it for me. I'm curious to see what you guys all think about it, but I think, at least for me, the most violent death in the movie is probably Nedry's. Um, You get, it's not like you're getting like the blood splatter on the window, but you're, you know, getting him eviscerated in the car and you're watching the vehicle rocking and we're not coming to knocking, but uh, you know, he's, he's getting the poison spit on him. He's not able to see. And it's the kind of more scary of the sequence. I know Joe, you mentioned it before with how cat like the Dilophosaurus is, but I think to a degree that death scene is undercut by the fact that you're supposed to see his character as a villain. And maybe I'm wrong in thinking that, but I feel like the movie's trying to portray him as a villain. So I guess, how did you guys feel about that? Did that death scene, how did you feel about it? Do you feel like it was undercut by him being villainous? Do you feel like it was portrayed as villainous? I think he was absolutely portrayed as villainous from the get-go. He's just kind of like this sleazy, you know, selfish, awful human being um who's willing to steal so and i don't know i also agree that that's pie. probably one of <laughs> yeah that's just freaking rude don't do that i know <laughs> but i do agree that he his was one of the most satisfying deaths i mean like i said before i'm team dino i was rooting for those dinosaurs every step of the way none of it would have happened if nedry had just stayed in his lane so like, you had one job, man. Don't get all fancy and spicy about it, all right? Yeah, I he I think he was definitely meant to be portrayed as the villain. And that I do agree that that is kind of a horrific uh, death scene, though. 
you know, just the idea of getting blinded is scary. And then like the idea of being locked in a confined area with a predator is very scary. And just how the Jeep's shaking and he's like, he's one of the characters deaths where like you hear him screaming and dying where some of the others are just fairly instant yeah it seems like a lot of the other deaths like the screams were fearful but not painful and that was painful so i went ahead and i reread the book for the hell of it because i was just in the mood and i thought i would give a little comparison i think when i you know you watch the movie i think he's definitely portrayed as kind of this villainous character and he did put everyone in danger by turning stuff off in the book you kind of get this other weird aspect of it because in the book john hammond is kind of a slave driving ass who doesn't really care about people (laughs) and uh so you get this whole thing where they're explaining that nedry had created this whole system for hammond for jurassic park and then Hammond later decided that they needed changes to it. So then Nedry was basically like, well, if you want changes, you're going to have to pay me more. So Hammond doesn't just say, no, we won't pay you more. He sends out a whole bunch of letters to other potential clients of Dennis Nedry, telling them all that this guy's an asshole and he won't finish what he starts and he's a bad person to work with in IT and that you shouldn't do that. So basically he's blackmailing him with all these other companies that he has until Nedry is basically like, fine, I guess I have to come back and do this for free because if I don't do that, I'm not going to have any other work if this guy's going to continue ruining my credibility to other potential people. So he goes back and he does all this. And at that point, like Dodgson finds him and starts talking to him and starts like cultivating that relationship until he's like, hey, do you want to screw over this guy that hugely screwed over you and you'll make a million and a half dollars on top of that? And reading the book, it's a little bit like, yeah, he did it in the worst way possible, but I almost can't blame him. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. True. Fight the man. This changes perspective completely. But, you know, at the same time, that's not how they presented in the movie. So you don't have that to work with. and You don't know if it's true in that universe. But at least in terms of the book, I can sympathize with him. In the movie, I feel like he's more one dimensional. His actions still get other people killed, though. So, I mean... They can't do, feel that either bad. way. Yep. Right. So there's another thing that we kind of touched on a little bit earlier that uh, Mitz, you mentioned, and that's the whole idea of that you've got children that are imperiled during the course of this film. And so, you know, they're the ones that are facing this potential violent end. Now, I guess, Mitch, you talked about it a little bit already, but I guess how did that play out for everybody else? Did that influence those things feeling like horror. Obviously, we all said not horror, so it seems like maybe that wasn't enough. If so, why wasn't that enough? I think that did make it scarier for me, I guess, to see, you know, the most vulnerable type people in this situation, but it is still it is still animals. It's horrifying, but I don't know if it's horror. I think it would have made a difference if they would have died, because... When you're watching the T-Rex scene for the first time, you're like, damn, are they going to kill kids in this movie? And that makes it even more tense. So I think maybe if they had killed off one of the kids, it would have maybe been horror for me. I don't know. Yeah, I'm with you, Mitz. I feel like if at least one of the child characters were killed off early in the film, it probably would have leaned more towards horror. 
it makes a higher stake. Like you just kind of know that everyone's going to get out of this movie alive. At least everyone who you're rooting for. Yeah, if they would have killed one of the kids, then all bets are off for anybody. Well, the movie does make it a point to have kind of the worst on-screen deaths happen to people that you don't really like. So, like, Gennaro and Nadri's deaths are the worst deaths, and it's people that you're kind of, like, a little bit rooting for the dinosaurs in those cases. Yeah, it kind of gives you permission to be okay with their death. Right. I think... Part of that is probably that this was never meant to be horror. It was probably meant to be a family movie. And kids probably don't want to watch other kids get eaten by dinosaurs. So they probably were like, well, let's just make it eat all the bad guys. That'll be family friendly. And you can always just be like, it's okay, honey. They're on an island in the middle of nowhere. We're going to be fine. And I think you do have that family friendly element. I mean, as I understand it, it's kind of Spielberg that champion doing this because i at least saw one interview that was talking about him having a conversation with michael crichton while michael crichton was working on this book and him deciding you know oh i'd love to do a movie about dinosaurs i've always been looking for an angle to get in on that and uh you know looking at the types of movies that he made previously with hits like et and i mean it's more contemporary i think it came after actually hook but anyway when you think of steven spielberg you think family friendly a lot of the time at least i do maybe i'm not looking at the whole of his repertoire and saying that, but I think that it's certainly something that he does well, even if he's not always doing it. So it kind of makes sense that, uh, especially with all the talk, both from him and Michael Crichton about like, oh yeah, you know, kids like dinosaurs. So that's something that they were at least thinking about. Another aspect that I thought would be interesting to talk about too, is you've got the kind of whole morality tale that happens in this to a degree of you've got characters that are, being said to be playing God here. And, uh, you know, there's, I think we talked about it in the Event Horizon episode, the idea of, you know, trespassing against nature, not following, you know, what God would have us do. And that one being, you know, creating a black hole and going places we're not meant to go faster than we're meant to go there. But with this one, you know, there's the whole, you're using genetics and creating life. And, you know, they even bring it up in the film. So I guess, how did that influence the tone of the film for you? Does that the sort of thing that you would normally expect to see in a horror movie or where do you weigh in? I mean, had they been recreating human life, it would have been horror, but since they're recreating animal life, it's not. So I, I'm not sure that that affected it for me. I'm not sure. I think for me, like, I think that is a factor. I do feel like that's a trope of at least some types of horror movies, the trespass, trespass against nature kind of thing and i i think that was there but it was kind of i don't know trying to downplay it a little bit and especially with hammond being like condors if i were to create condors you wouldn't have anything to say about it and it was just sort of this idea of like okay well yes i'm trespassing against nature but like you said brianna it's it's just animals like what's what's your big deal about this yeah, I don't I don't think that the morality the the morality tale portion of the film makes it any more or less horror because kind of like what Joe said, a lot of horror films are always like dumb kids are doing stuff that they're not supposed to and then they get shanked. So it's like 
uh, that's like the very base part of like morality in that instance trespassing or committing a crime or doing or having sex when they're not supposed to kind of a thing so yeah i don't think that that necessarily makes it horror or not horror so we did kind of talk about this a little bit earlier, but I'm curious to see where people weigh in on it too. Cause we're talked about the idea of we've got these big creatures here in this movie and it feeling like horror. And I was thinking of other movies that involve large creatures or, you know, Kaiju, if you will. And I was thinking about movies like the mist or, or tremors or Cloverfield or Godzilla or King Kong. And it's kind of looking at just the fact that, you know, some of those, when I list them off really feel like horror and some of them don't really feel like horror, and so I guess is thinking about like, does the size of the creature, the realistic nature of the creature influence it? Because in Mist, they're like impossibly big, sort of unknowable horrors. In Cloverfield, you kind of get a good look at it, but you're never sure where it's from. Godzilla and the King Kong movies, the more recent ones, for instance, you get like a real solid look at these creatures, but they're almost too big. It kind of reduces humans to statistics. It's like the T-Rex is almost just the right level of big. For it to be fearsome, but for it not to just be like, oh, it knocked down a whole building. That's probably 100 people. I don't know. I know that's a little bit rambly, but I guess maybe to say, does the size of the creature make a difference to you? Yes, the size does matter because in traditional monster horror, as you said, we deal with, you know, larger is scarier. And I agree with that to an extent. But with this film in particular, no dinosaurs don't aren't roaming about as far as we know cryptozoology but hint hint but we it, it is a thing that did exist at one point on this planet as far as we know and it was brought back through hubris human hubris that's more sci-fi than horror to me i think um on the list that you have on the outline going from mist tremors cloverfield godzilla king kong is basically going from most horror to least horror on that list. And I feel like the reason that that's happening is not necessarily size, but knowability of the creatures. Maybe swap Tremors and Cloverfield on the list. But like Mist is these creatures that are horrific and not anything similar to like normal animals. Whereas like King Kong and even Godzilla you know, those, both of them have story arcs where you're sympathizing with both of them and, and they're humanized in a sense. So it's kind of whether you can project human feelings onto a creature versus whether you can't, not necessarily the size. I think that's a fair assessment. I didn't even think about that. It's a good point. I think for me, there's kind of a diminishing returns on size because I, I think bigger is scarier up to a point but as we've kind of already stated like once you get so big like it becomes a thing where it's hard to have it be a huge monster but also have it be personal and like I think for me horror has to make me feel on a personal level but when it's like giant creatures running around knocking down buildings like like you said it just kind of feels ends up feeling like statistics is it scary is it terrible and horrific yes but there's just not that personality to it so yeah like a t-rex is kind of the right size to like still be on the personal level but also be huge there's this YouTube video of like a speedboat 
with a camera in the water pointing backwards and the speedboat's just like going for all it's worth and then like a killer whale like is swimming up to it and just like despite it speeding away just like closes the distance on the boat and you know it doesn't ever attack the boat but just like watching how fast that thing is and how smart those creatures are and how big they are like they're not you know as big as a t-rex or uh you know other whales but like they're a large predator and that's a scary thing to me just how big how fast how dangerous they are just that idea if they wanted you dead there's nothing you could do about it yeah right I also think big things are just visually scarier. I don't know why. Maybe that's a personal thing. But if you ever want to be creeped out, go to Google and Google megalophobia and you'll see what I mean. It's creepy. It kind of reminds me a little bit of the, uh, there's this whole, and I kind of like to cover this book for the next season. So maybe we'll get into it later. But um, the first book in the Dark Tower series, The Gunslinger, there's this whole philosophical conversation at the end of it and one of the things that the villain kind of says is the problem is scale is that uh once you get so big in the scope of a thing that it's kind of hard for humans to comprehend because so much of our lives is lived on this particular level and once you get you know infinitesimally small or infinitely large we start start to just completely lose all sense of perspective with it. And then it becomes unimaginable. And then you get into that whole concept of we already talked about is something that you can't really know that you can't really classify or quantify is always a little bit scarier than the thing that we are familiar with. The thing that we can, you know, we can categorize. Well, I have just Googled megalophobia under the image section and um, that's some of that stuff is the stuff of nightmares. Yeah. Telling you, you won't know you're scared of it till you do it. All right, now I have to. Maybe it's just a me thing, but some of these are really hitting home. Yeah, <laughs> I, th- it really makes me think of like the mist because I think the mist does such a good job of creating these crazy, larger than life creatures that, like, when you are watching the movie The Mist and you kind of see the creature at the end, like the huge creature that they show. It's almost more like you're not necessarily scared. You're just kind of like, damn, we are fucked. <laughs> like when you see that thing. So it's like, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to describe that feeling. It's not necessarily fear. It's like abandon all hope. Yeah. <laughs> it's just this moment of uh, realizing how small we are in the scale of things. The You know, the grand scope of things yeah not to completely shift gears on us on this but i did want to kind of go into a little bit just the overall atmosphere of the film um we talked a little bit about the john's williams score john williams score and how that kind of plays into it but what kind of atmosphere would you say that you were feeling from this film I mean, apart from the scary bits, it was pretty uplifting. You know, the the final shot is the traditional flying off into the sunset, uh, you know, with your newfound love of family life sitting next to you. Like, it was it was family film. And they got that happy ending, so we know where you're right? at with that. And, and <laughs> we all know how I feel about this. I think the score is so iconic. It's the thing that makes you feel a sense of awe and wonder at what you're seeing and I think that's kind of more the overarching tone 
of the movie and even especially when it ends with the with the T-Rex coming out and saving them from the raptors and the there's the music there and the sign drops and you're supposed to like damn this is cool not scary like I'm in awe of this when dinosaurs ruled the earth you know what I mean that's kind of the impression that I feel like the composition score is trying to give you yeah I definitely agree with that yeah that's kind of where I went at too is just this this feeling of majesty this feeling of awe that's supposed to be this feel-good moment I think the tone of the movie is really encapsulated in that first moment when you first see dinosaurs and you're there with Grant and Ellie seeing them for the first time. I think ultimately that's the tone that the movie's going for. Are there sequences that are similar to horror? Sure, there's definitely horror DNA there, but I think that those scenes better exemplify the tone of the film overall. So I guess that's kind of where I weighed in on that too. The other thing I kind of thought was interesting about it too, the first scene in the movie is that raptor attack as well. And I felt like that set it up like it was going to be a darker film than it was. I don't know. I was kind of curious just where you guys weighed in on that too. That was not an OSHA approved raptor transport, just saying. Not at all. They just have some guy standing up there precariously pulling up this gate. (laughs) Like... That gate must have... Yeah. How heavy and how thick was that gate if some dude can just pull that up by hand? Like, not, none of that's believable. I think my comment to Joe at the time was like, that's not automated. That part yeah. of the yeah. gate coming up has to be a guy right. operating it. Yeah, I don't know. I did feel like that was like trying to set you up for the scariness of the movie. And I think it it did a... Good job. And one of the things I I feel like it's unrealistic, but one of the things about it was how unstoppable the Raptor was. And like you've got, you know, a dozen guys there with high powered tasers trying to subdue this creature and it's not doing anything that they can't do anything to save this guy's life, which is just that feeling of helplessness that I think you, you do get in a lot of horror movies. So, I don't know, it's interesting to start with that, but kind of work back. Any other thoughts on the film as a whole? I think that's all that I had in the way of questions. Can we talk about how it could be horror, though? Seriously? Oh, yeah, by all means, go for it. So, while this is not horror, I was thinking about it, and I messaged Steve the one night as I'm watching this movie, and I'm like, you know what? If you let me do a rewrite, I could make this into horror, but it would need to be a revenge horror from the viewpoint of the T-Rex, who is also the last girl standing. (laughs) Yes. And if you allow me to do this rewrite, I can make this movie horror, and it will be stupendous. And they'll, okay, everyone's seen The Descent, right? So I see the raptors as, like, the girls in the group who are being mean to the to the her- heroines. And, oh my God, it's going to be so great. There's going to be so many scenes. The chemistry, the outfits, the gore. I'm here for it. Somebody please um, <laughs> green light this immediately. You could have, like, the T-Rex, you know, understanding what's going on and kind of watching the humans do this whole, all these, like, genetic experiments. Exactly. And, like, being aware. Yeah, like, they're creating these dinosaurs but then they're throwing away the rejects and her you know the our main character t-rex just being totally disturbed by the them just like you know 
Yeah. Well, our T-Rex, our T-Rex is the one, folks. Like, our T-Rex is our Neo. And the T-Rex wakes up and discovers, like, understands that she is a genetic experiment and her whole life is a lie. And they're using all of the animals for profit. And there's absolutely no unionized labor. And it's terrible. And the food sucks. And then they have a rebellion and a revolt. And it's gorgeous. (laughs) It's uh, the island, except with dinosaurs. So much better. Everything is better with dinosaurs. Yeah, so much better. And the thing I brought up when you brought this up to me is that has anyone seen Tammy and the T-Rex? Because that's, <laughs> I mean, as far as dinosaur revenge horror, I guess that's as probably as close as you get. Well, I am now allowed to watch it because I was able to give my very unbiased opinion, but I'm definitely going to watch it. From what you've told me, it sounds like it's brilliant. All I could think of through that was like raptors wearing short skirts and pink bows on their heads yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a blonde have you seen but something. i'm a cheerleader because that's what came to mind with the pink bows and then it made me think would a raptor wear its skirt <laughs> like this or would it wear its skirt <laughs> like <laughs> like this <laughs> She's going to wear it wherever she damn well please, because it is a form of self-expression, and we support that in Jurassic Park. I think I'm voting A. Yeah, A makes more sense. Well, I did a better job drawing the skirt in A. (laughs) For those listeners at home, I'll have to maybe post this on the Instagram, but it's either is the skirt around just the back legs, or is it across the whole chest area so it gets... Both the arms and the legs. The undercarriage, so to speak. Well, this dep- this what they're not telling you with this photo is that is an elastic waist, so this is a convertible skirt, and it is dependent upon how many park keepers she's eaten that day. And that is valid. <laughs> she wore her fat pants to the buffet. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, ah, she came to play. She's serious. Well, I think we got a movie here. Sounds like an excellent film. So I did something a little bit different this time as far as looking at uh, meta tags. So as far as streaming services go, you had the you had Google and not streaming services necessarily, but searches in general. Google, Wikipedia, IMDb, Rotten Tomatoes, Metacritic, Letterboxd, Prime. They all called that. They all called it sci-fi. You had Google, Wikipedia, IMDb, Prime and Redbox calling it action. Um, you had Six or seven different places call it adventure. One place, Redbox, called it drama. Another place called it suspense, um, action adventure. I didn't see any labeling at horror. I did try something a little bit different this time since there was the book that it was based on. And uh, the website Goodreads, they kind of do a similar thing to Steam in that they let users pick what classification they think that the book has. Except for they go one better, which is telling you how many users selected that, which allowed me to put together kind of a quick analysis of what percent of people felt the book was horror because they had uh, some 20,000 people had put their different classifications. So you ended up with about 32% saying science fiction, 30% just saying fiction, 15% saying thriller, uh, 6% saying adventure, 57 saying science fiction fantasy, 4.8% saying fantasy, and then we were down to 4.1% that considered it horror. So that's out of 20,000 people, and I thought that was kind of interesting to see that. 
Um, the other thing that I checked out that I hadn't done before is you can check out Google search trends. And uh, so one of the things that you that it tells you is basically how many people search for it given every month for however many years back you want to go to all the way back to 2004. So I put in a bunch of different movies that people accept generally as horror, things like The Exorcist or Nightmare on Elm Street or Halloween or Friday the 13th. And with horror movies, you usually see them get a little bit of a boost every October. And so I was kind of curious to see if we'd see a, the same sort of boost with Jurassic Park, but it isn't, there isn't, there isn't a seasonal boost in October. So at least those things going into it made me think that while there might be some people considering this horror and some people making those arguments that the general population doesn't really view it that way. So I guess just as far as how it's received in general, it looks to me like for the most part, people aren't thinking of this as a horror film. I would say, especially if you're talking about categorizing the book, Michael Crichton's books are all very tacky and going deep into the explanation of how the science is working. So I think the book especially is not horror to me at all. Of course, I said the movie isn't either, but yeah, just wanted to add that. Yeah, that's kind of where I weighed in on that, too. I mean, there's there's some brief moments. I think the Nedry death is a little bit worse in the book because you get what he's thinking while it's all happening. But uh, it's really just that one section. The rest of it, like you said, pretty kind of techno thriller more than anything. Yeah, Michael Crichton definitely spends about 25% of all of his books explaining the exact science behind whatever's happening. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Or more. <laughs> or more. Which is kind of funny because in the book I found Ian Malcolm a bit un insufferable. I don't know, he was just such a pompous ass in the book, which is funny because when I read it the first time, I think I was 12 and that didn't come across to me at all, but reading the book is like, I don't like his character. And I kind of like Gennaro's character. That's so weird. It's the complete opposite of the movie. I really hate that man. <laughs> also, shout out to Book Muldoon. If you've never read the book of Jurassic Park and you thought Muldoon kicks ass in the movie, read the book, please. Okay, I'm going to be that guy who says the book's better than the movie. Yeah, Muldoon's pretty badass in the book. Justice for Muldoon. It's never going to happen, but I want a rework of Jurassic Park, the original film, just so he's hardcore. Everything else can stay the same. I just want him to be hardcore. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us on a, another episode of Visit Horror. So uh, we are releasing these episodes in seasons. So this is the second to last episode for season one. Our next episode, we're kind of going to be doing a review of the whole first season, what we've talked about so far, how we've classified films if we've changed our mind on any what things we feel are most important in making a film horror and uh, then we will be back again in october where our second season is going to start up and we may release might release an episode in the meantime but uh keep uh keep paying attention keep watching our instagram our twitter for more news on when episodes will be released and uh, we will see you in two weeks Thanks for joining us this time. I've been Steve. And I'm Brianna. And I'm Joe. I'm Ant. And I am Mitsosaurus. Rawr! Bye! Bye! Bye. 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 Bye.
Bye. <laughs> Thanks for joining us at Is It Horror? We post new episodes every other Friday. Think we didn't give this movie a fair shake? Think we missed something? Do you have a suggestion for future episodes? Or did you just want to say hi? If so, you can follow us at Is It Horror on Twitter, on Instagram at Is It Horror Pod, or you can email us at Is It Horror Podcast at gmail.com. In the meantime, stay safe and keep asking yourself, Is <sighs>